Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports. I'm Kurt Heelan, the managing editor of Pro Basketball Talk, with you as always. And this is an exciting podcast for us because we are going to bring in Bulls legend BJ Armstrong, and we're going to talk about a lot of things, including his new podcast, but as well, we're going to discuss the Bulls of the, you know, Jordan era Bulls, the triangle offense, and how that works in today's game, resting players. And by the way, he went to the Elite Eight with Iowa. We'll get into his college basketball as well. We're going to talk about all of it. But first, I wanted to tell you about something really quick because, look, if you're like me, you are a huge, huge soccer fan and specifically English Premier League fan. Uh, I'm a Newcastle guy. I've probably actually followed a little less of the Premier League this year because my team got relegated, but they're going to be back up next year. And what I wanted to point you towards was a new podcast from NBC Sports called That's a Dive with Kyle Martino. You know him as one of the Premier League analysts at NBC. He's doing a weekly now deep dive podcast, getting into some of the big issues around the soccer community and the sports world. Um, it's really fantastic. You really should check it out. It's it's fantastic. And I just wanted to point you towards that. You can get that at NBC Sports. You can find that on Audio Boom at the NBC Sports page. Of course, iTunes, where you all the places you can find this podcast. And this podcast now, we're going to turn to talking about the NBA with B.J. Armstrong. And thank you for joining us today, B.J. Armstrong. It, it, this is a, a real honor. I was a big fan of yours uh, and the Bulls back in the day. I think everybody was a fan of the Bulls back in the day. But I, I think the role players sometimes got a little undersung because that one guy was pretty good on your team. <laughs> yeah, it was... Uh, yeah, we had this one guy who was pretty good. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it was a great team and uh, great teammates, fond memories of... You know things we were doing back then, so uh, it was really good times there playing, and very fortunate uh, when I came out of University of Iowa to get drafted there in Chicago, and and uh, had some pretty good teams and really good teammates. Well, I want to start here. You got drafted by and kind of brought in by Jerry Krause, who uh, the kind of famed Bulls GM, who passed away this week. What's what's your memory of him? Well, the thing I, I remember most about Jerry is how passionate he was about what he did. He really took uh, his job very serious scouting and he loved to scout. And, uh, you know, he really worked at, you know, what he felt uh, that he knew and knew best, which was scouting talent and putting together teams. So uh, I think that was kind of the era of, that he grew up in is looking for great players and great talent. And uh, I was very fortunate, um, like I said, to be drafted by drafted there in Chicago and to have known Jerry and to spend time with him. So 
You know, I think what he was able to do and achieve speaks for itself. And, uh, you know, the thing I remember most about him is that, you know, he really worked at his craft and he worked at what he did and he was very passionate and uh, not only in basketball, but, you know, I don't know how many people know, but he really huge baseball fan yeah. and he loved baseball just as much as he loved basketball. And he did some scouting in, in the major leagues as well. You, you know, I was talking with somebody about this the other day that he is kind of a product of that era in the sense that that kind of scouting acumen and what he did well certainly can has a value in the NBA today, but I don't know if it makes you a GM because the role has changed. Well, I, I, I think the marketing and PR of the role has changed. You know, now you have all of these, you know, analytics and salary cap and all of those things that we hear about constantly in the news. But, you know, when you really break it down to the core of the business, it's about talent. And this league, and then in particular the NBA, and I would imagine the other leagues as well, is based on talent. You know, it's very difficult to win without a Tom Brady or a Michael Jordan or you know, a star player of that caliber. So when it's all said and done, uh, this league, professional sports, will always be about talent, talent-based. And um, we may call it other things. We may market ourselves analytics and numbers and all of that. But in the end, um, and I and I, and I want to say this, preface this with saying, you know, I think there is a role in that, and I think it's important to know all of those things. But in the end, it sure helps when you have a very talented player who can play, perform, because in the end, it's all about winning winning games. It is, it is. The other thing I think that gets lost about him, and, and I was talking with Roland Lazenby, who'd written a couple Bulls books back in the day, he was tough. And you got to think about the spot he was in. On one side, he's got Phil Jackson, who was like to kind of manipulate his way to what he wanted. And on the other side... Michael Jordan just kind of intimidates his way to everybody, everything he wants. And he was willing to stand up to both of them if he thought it was an important thing and it was something, whether it was coach or something else, that he felt had to happen. Well, I think a lot has been written. Uh, and look, in the end, when you win, everything seems better. You know, the stories get better. You know, the teams get better. The decisions that you made are better. You know, in, in, in the end, the bottom line is we had, we had great talent. We had a great team, and we were able to win games. So uh, in any business-like setting, in any sports team, family, there de- definitely is going to be a difference of opinions. But, you know, the opinions the opinions and the stories get better when you win. So, like I said, um, the thing that we did um, is that, you know, the Bulls were a championship-caliber team, and I think the, the characters of – you know, Jerry Krause, Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen. I think those characters will forever live. I think the stories will get better over time. But, you know, without those guys winning and figuring out how to win games, I think, you know, like so many other teams, could have, would have, should have. And, um, you know, they, they, they were a great group, and they figured out how to get it done. They, they certainly did. I think the story of, of Steve Kerr getting punched gets funnier every time I hear it. So you're, you're right. Those do get better <laughs> with time. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know who. I don't know if who. Uh, you know, I don't know if Steve would agree with that. But you know what? It's uh, you know, it's uh, certainly tough times and tough teams. So you know, um, you know, we've all had our little ups and downs and battles within our group. So you know, I think uh, he won't be the first, and he certainly won't be the last 
two teammates would have a little no, conversation no. there. No, that still goes on today. They're just a little better at hiding it, I think, sometimes. The other thing with that team that kind of is interesting when you look into today's NBA is the debate about the triangle offense and what's going on in New York. Um, a lot of point guards uh, and guards like yourself weren't totally comfortable in that offense, but you seem to be. Uh, was it comfortable for you, and do you think it could work in today's NBA? Well, look, and I, I guess that I, I – what is, what is it we're trying to do here? Are we trying to run – a system to be right, or are we trying to figure out how to win games? Yeah. In the NBA, the bottom line is you got to figure out how to win. And we'll run the circle offense, the square offense, if it's allowing you to win games or giving you an opportunity to win games. So, you know, not so much focusing in on what offense we're running or what defensive scheme we're running. It's one, do you have the personnel to win? And this league... You know, anyone who's participated, played this game, you know, whether it's, you know, CYO, high school, college, or the NBA, you got to first have the athletes and the talent to do it. Yeah. I don't care what offense you're running. You know, first you got to have talent. Okay, and you got to have talent to defend, stop the other team. You have to have talent to secure the ball after you make that great defensive stop. And then you got to figure out how to play as a group and you got to share the ball with one another. So, when all of that is said and done, I think the, the it's, it's not like the triangle offense is just going to magically allow you to win games. you got to have the talent to do it. And right now, everyone is trying to figure out how to upgrade their talent or if you have that talent to get it to play in a cohesive manner in which they can all play, play together and, and compete at the highest level. So, you know, Michael Jordan, Scotty Pippen, Scotty Pippen, Dennis Rodman, Horace Grant, those guys were amazing athletes who could play and play the game at the highest level. And then you sprinkle in, you know, the role players around it, you know, you have a pretty good team. So, you know, to me it's just about finding the right combination and more importantly having, having that great player or great players that's going to get you to play at the highest level. Yeah, and that's always seemed to be more the issue for me when you're specifically now obviously the team trying to run it now and kind of going back to it more the Knicks. And I – I just sense that it's le- the, the the issues in New York are less about the offense and more about the, the the how that talent all fits together and getting them kind of all on the same page and and does some of that talent fit together or does some of it need to be moved around? Well, it, it, you know, look, players, you are who you, you are who your record says you are, and right now, you know, when you look at that team defensively, they're not a very good team. No, it's just that's just who they are doesn't mean they're a bad player, a bad fit. They're just not a good defensive team. Very difficult to win in any league if you don't defend. And right now, they are struggling to defend. Every good team in the league understands that they have to be able to stop the other team. So, you know, we put a lot of emphasis on offense because that's, you know, you know, you watch, for instance, um, you watch the Golden State Warriors. You know, they shoot threes and they do all those things. But defensively, they're a very, very good team. Okay, they're a very good team. The San Antonio Spurs are a very good defensive team. The Cleveland Cavaliers. So all of the teams in the league understand the same concept, which is if we're going to be a good team defensively, we have to play very consistent on that end of the floor or else you have no chance to win in this league. I think that's actually, I think people, we, I think we all tend to overlook that or it's easy to get caught up at least in the numbers until you start, like you said, you start looking into the playoffs and you're like, 
well, who's going to contend for a title? And you start looking for who defends. And it, you're right. It's San Antonio and yeah, Golden it, State. It, and, it's just very simple. So, you know, I, I think Phil Jackson is a huge personality. And you take the New York situation. But, you know, it's very simple when you watch him play. They're not a good defensive team. Yeah. You know, they're not a physical team. They're not an athletic team. Uh, they don't get up and defend 94 feet. So they're constantly trying to wage wager on their ability to outscore you. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But consistently, the team can't get another – they can't get a stop. So it, it, it makes it very difficult to win in this league on a consistent basis when defensively you can't stop the other team. Yeah. What do you think about Chicago – I mean, not Chicago, I'm sorry – uh, Cleveland lately, where they have struggled defensively, they haven't really focused, but they kind of. We, I think we know they have that in them, and injuries have been part of that. But is that a flip switch you can flip, or if you don't develop good habits over the course of the season, does that come back to bite you? Well, I, I think this team right now, this is their. You know, they're making a run. This is in their. They're in year three of that run. Yeah. And a lot of times, for better or for worse, you know, uh, these teams. They put more emphasis on the, in the postseason than they do during the regular season. I think this team is ready and seasoned for the postseason. Um, they understand the length of the season. They understand what it's going to take. And right now, I think they're just fine-tuning themselves to get themselves as healthy as they can because health is always a big issue. You can see that in particular with the Golden State Warriors and Kevin Durant. You have to be healthy. So, you know, the losses that they're – having right now I'm really not concerned about it uh, as long as they're healthy in the playoffs I'm really confident that this team can win on an opposing team's home court in the hostile environment and I think that's what they're they're focusing what they're ready set up to do yeah you've been able to do something by the way that a lot of guys struggle with which is you've transitioned from your playing days to a to a uh a, a, a nice post basketball life. You, uh, for one, you are a, an agent at the Wasserman Group or Wasserman Basketball Agent, um, and you handle Derek Rose among uh, working with some other clients there. And you've, which is a, not everybody transitions to the business side of that that smoothly. Plus, now you've got a podcast going on the side with uh, Rick Buecher. I, how did you trans? How did you get into all of these things? Well, the, the big thing uh, for me is. I was always very curious, um, even as a kid, and even more so when I started playing collegiate basketball, I wanted to just understand how this business worked. Uh, when I went to the University of Iowa, when I got into the NBA, I was just very curious on how all the business that the Bulls were doing, the NBA was doing, Nike, Adidas, how all of this worked and put it together. So I think it was more so my curiosity than anything that brought me here. And now with social media, the impact that it's having on athletes and our business and, and professional sports and what that's going to mean and what that's going to mean in the future is kind of what brought me to all of these, you know, my, I just call them experiments, experimenting <laughs> with, you know, understanding the business even more so things that I wish I would have had when I was a player. And now going over into the social media, I just think it's a marvelous time to be a professional athlete where they can have a direct contact with, you know, the fans, clients, and all the people that are, you know, on the outside of the, the business of basketball. So it just, uh, just made a natural progression for me and something that I was just, you know, my curiosity kind of brought me here. 
How much would social media have changed? And I, I've heard Steve Kerr talk about this. How much would social media have changed what was going on with the Bulls in the 90s and just what it was like at the hotels and, and some of the stuff around the team that's very different now and social media plays a big part of that? Well, uh, well it does. It just, you know, the fact that, you know, you know, we don't need our traditional outlets to interact. Yeah. Uh, you have kids now tweeting. You have kids now on Instagram. You have kids on Snapchat. So I just think the interaction, you know, I think the biggest difference has been, you know, phones, cellular phones with cameras yeah. and videos and all of the things. Thank goodness, you know, we didn't have that when we were, <laughs> when we were young. It would have changed everything, you know. Uh, so today you're on, you're, you know, anyone can film whatever you're doing, wherever you're at. And I just think that it's just changed everything. So, um, you know, I think cellular phones and tablets and the Internet has changed the way we view sports. It's kind of changed the way everything happens now in real time. And um, you just have to be very aware. But more importantly, I think you can, if you're savvy about it, I think you can actually take advantage of this and have a direct connection that, in a way that, we never had. I think it's a very intimate way of, you know, interacting with your fan base and people in sports in general. Yeah. You talked about your time briefly there going through the University of Iowa. You were are on arguably, probably uh, the best team in that university's history basketball team or one of them. I mean, an elite eight team. What do you remember from that experience as we're heading into the weekend where people are, are you know, teams are competing to get to that spot now? When you ha- when you make it this far, you know how much it hurts when you lose it. You know it was that yeah, we were one game away from going to the Final Four, and uh, but it was just fond memories of you know every win and every shot and every possession, every time out. And you know with, when you're that young, just the energy that you have, the energy of the team, the coaches, and it was just a good time, a great time for for University of Iowa. And for all of the teammates that, you know, I happened to play with during that era. So, um, you know, the tournament is a very special time, and I always get excited about it. And it pains me for, you know, when I see the teams lose because only one team can win. And, uh, you, you know, you watch these kids every year put their heart and soul into, you know, everything they have, and uh, but only one team can win. But it's a, it's a marvelous tournament. It's, uh, you know, you're rooting – for your team and uh, every possession, every shot, you definitely uh, you feel it. And uh, and you know only like you know the, the team that wins, you know they're the only one that can celebrate. But the other ones, uh, it's it's a painful. It's painful when you when you go down in that tournament. You know, with with a lot of people who are competitive, and it sounds like you're in this boat as well. With a lot of competitive, real competitive people, they, it's not that you don't enjoy the winning. But the losses are what really stick with you and kind of kind of eat at you longer. Is that true in your case? Well, you know, I I, I didn't learn this lesson until I, I got to the NBA. It's you, you never really lose. You just you just understand. You, you begin to understand that you know it's it's a forty minute game, and you could play great for thirty nine minutes, but if the other team plays great for thirty nine minutes, thirty nine and a half minutes, they're probably going to win that game. And you understand, 
you know, that there is some luck involved. You know, you can have foul trouble. You can have, you know, suddenly a guy who's probably shooting 10% from three-point from the three-point line suddenly gets hot in that one particular game. So what you what sticks out is the things that you can't control. You know, everyone, I think, works hard. Everyone prepares for the games. But there's parts of the game that you wonder, God, if we would have cut, if we could have done this different or done that different, I think that's what sticks with you. So, uh, and the losses, being a competitor, I think that is correct when you say, you know, I probably could have changed and had a different game plan, or I could have gone about preparing for the game a little different. So, um, you know, just one of those things I think you you kind of pick up as an athlete. You know, no one ever wants to admit to defeat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And guys don't want to give up, which kind of segues into one of the other things I wanted to ask you about that's been going around the NBA and was really different in the era you were in the league, and that's players getting rest now and, and getting, you know, DNP rests. Look, guys got time off when you played, but they, they look, you, everybody's banged up and they could just say, hey, he's got a back injury or a, a sore ankle or whatever, but... Now they're just kind of, and it's not even the players so much, really. It's the teams coming forward and saying, hey, we're going to rest marquee players now so they're fresh during the playoffs. Do you see that as good for the players and, and like, the coaches and the teams do, or, or does it bother you a little? Well, I, you know, it's kind of how we started off this conversation with, you know, now we have a lot of information, you know, and, yeah. and I think that's what analytics and all of the, the information that we have available to us now that we didn't have then. Now we have the information medically to support, and we know and we've come to the un- we understand that when players are fatigued, when players are um, tired and they don't get the proper rest, that they're more prone to injury. So it's a double-edged sword here. And back then, we didn't have this information available to us uh, that we have now. And if we know this, because we have this information through science and our medical staff and people that help our athletes perform at the highest level, now it becomes, do you listen to the doctors or do you just push through it? Uh, Back then, we pushed through it because we didn't know. We didn't know any better. Now, we definitely know and we have the data to support why these guys need rest and what that rest may mean to them because no one no one is immune to having an injury and you just hope that it's not a significant injury or a career ending injury so it's one of those things where you know we probably would have made different decisions if we would have known back then what we know now mm-hmm. and now we're here where we have to make the decision based on on the facts, and the facts are when you are tired and you are fatigued, it makes you that more susceptible to injuries. And, you know, if you know this, now what are you going to do about it? Yeah. And I get it from the fans' perspective. I get it from the players' perspective. And now it's a decision that you have to do, and hopefully they can come to some middle ground. So, you know, when you when you have this, what are you going to say? What are you going to do? And I And I get it. Um, I just think it's time for the league now to really consider the amount of games that you play. Yeah, I mean, eighty. I'm not sure if 82 games is the best, you know, way to continue to perform. 
But then I understand from the owner's perspective, you know, they have buildings. Uh, they want those buildings filled. They have sponsors. They have business partners. So now what is the right solution when we know that that's too many games on the, the, the uh, uh, on these these young men and young women and people who play this game professionally. So, you know, what are you going to do? And that's one of the things that I think the NBA is going to have to take a long, hard look at and um, come up with the best solution. You're working now, like I said, with Wasserman Group and, and as an agent. Uh, you've, you know, I'm going to use Derek Rose simply as an example because you, you work with him. He's a free agent this summer. Um, as you head into that, what do you do to prepare for his free agency? I mean, whether he stays in New York or goes somewhere else, from your end, what's the preparation as an agent for leading up to July 1st and then as that starts? Well, the, 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 first, the preparation is always the same for every, for every client. First, got to gather the facts and see, you know, what's, what's available. And when I say what's available, we have to know the needs of the team. We have to know where teams are drafting. We have to know uh, coaching changes, personnel changes, teams that maybe want to rebuild. We want to know teams that, you know, are ready to, to take uh, advantage of free agency and have money to spend, salary cap. So for us, it's just going in one, you know, our job is, you know, is to be healthy, first of all. You know, you're nothing without your health. So, you know, as long as he's healthy, you know, this league is always going to have room in this league for talent. Yeah. So if he's healthy and we can identify the teams that are going to need a player of his caliber and going to need a, 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 a point guard who can do the things that he does on the floor, we'll be fine. So let's just gather, see what's available, see who's going to um, – what moves are going to be made as far as free agency, the draft, trade, so forth and so on. And then we'll take our chances in free agency. I don't. I wish there. I wish I had a secret formula that I can say this works and that works. But in the end, it's just about understanding all the rosters in the league, understanding how teams are going to draft. So then, when July first comes about, we can identify those three or four or five teams that will have the cap space to, to you know, talk to or even have an opportunity to to go to a team that can. That, that can take a player of his caliber. And then when you go into it, obviously money is going to matter in, in that decision, but how much does style of play, uh, location, I mean, obviously Derek's family and, and was raised in Chicago and he, he, he's he got people there. So how much does location, how much does weather, taxes, all that other stuff factor in versus just the financial end? Well, I think you hit it right on. It's, you know, when you come into this league, when you come into this league, a lot of it is just, you know, by chance. I mean, you don't really have a say-so on yeah. who gets the number one pick or the number two pick. or You don't really have a chance to really pick the team that you really want to go to or pick the personality that you think will best fit with you. So this is his first time in his nine years of playing in the league that he'll actually have an opportunity to select you know, the, the people that he thinks that he can work best with. You know, as long as you're playing and you're healthy, money and all those things will take care of itself. I think where you get in trouble in this league is when you start trying to 
just do things strictly for money or do things strictly because you want to be a part of something without actually taking responsibility of your part in it, which is, you know, I, I got to participate with this team. I'm going to partake and really entrench myself in this community. And more importantly is, is to say, you know, this is where I want to be. You know, just doing something for money or just doing something because I've never found out to I, I've never found that that works long term. So for him, I think it's just, you know let's just step away from the game once the season ends for him. Let's just uh, look to see what's available, what's out there, and then try to put together where you think it's gonna it's gonna really fit for you long term. What kind of style you really want to play? What kind of coach you feel? will bring out the best in you. Because you, now he'll have an opportunity to do that. And then, you know, if you put yourself in the right situation where it's a good fit, you know, and you're talented enough, you know, it, it, all of those other things will take care of itself. Money, winning, and, you know, being in the community you want to be in, all of those will just, it'll just happen naturally. For him, uh, stylistically on the court and with the type of coach, he strikes me as a guy who... who wants the ball in his hands a lot, like a lot of great players, but also, look, he seems to thrive off the pick and roll. His decision-making, both his ability to get to the rim and his ability to decide out of that. Does that factor in? You're like, hey, I want to be in a place where it runs that, or is it comfort level with the coach and, and on through? Well, I think the, the comfort level will come in maximizing who you are as a player. And I think what who he is is, you know, Derek wants to win. Okay, that's... Yeah. That's who he is. You know, whether he's playing pick and roll or not, in the end, what I found as a player, what I found now as an agent, is it's, it's much easier to play when you're winning. And everyone wants to play where they have an opportunity to win. Okay? And then if you're going to make a decision to play a certain style and you're not winning, I think that's going to be that's a very difficult thing to accept as a player because you want to continue to try and you every you you can you want to compete so you know you, you understand you can't win every game but what you can do is you can go out there and give your best effort to win and, and to to play and play to the best of your ability so for him i think it's very simple it's winning winning covers all of the other things up style pick and roll all of the things that we can you know, talk about, um, but I think right now you just have to really focus in on winning. And if you can win games, all of the other stuff take care of itself. I, 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 I think that, I think there is certainly is that aspect to it. Winning does kind of cure all ills. Um, it, it cures everything, you know, and, and it just, it, you know, we talk so much about what type of player, what type of system you need to be in, what type of coach, look. <laughs> If you're a professional, right, and all of us experience that who works, if you're winning, you know, the personality seem to match better. Yeah. The, the, the games are easier. The, the, you know, you, you, you have more energy. You know, your relationships, our stories get better. So I just think it's now at a point, especially where he's at in his career, where you want to put yourself in a situation where you have a chance to win. Winning is, I think, the X factor of everything that you're trying to do. It does. Yeah, the, the Daryl Morey line of, of years ago of, of chemistry is a three-game winning streak. It's, you know, it, it, <laughs> it, 
it does start to solve a lot of things. Uh, thank BJ Armstrong. Thank you for joining us. You were basically as explosive when you played as as Derek, right? No, nowhere, <laughs> nowhere near this guy. <laughs> no. By the way, how do you like now? You've got your new podcast on Audio Boom with uh, with Rick Buecher, uh, who's working for Bleacher Report. How do you like these kind of situations now? This this conversation that will get listened to by people and and this kind of format. It, it seems like well, something I, you're comfortable with. I really with. enjoy. It. I really like it because. You know, as a as an ex player, you know, you never had this opportunity to write your narrative. You never had this opportunity to to actually get out and say your side of the story. You know, it was always reported and as you know, being in the business, you know, there sometimes there can be mistakes, you know, there could be I was misquoted or you know, you never heard my side of the story. So again, I think this is a marvelous time to be an athlete because you haven't you have an opportunity to write your narrative, to tell your story. And so many people, you know, when I say people, so many players never get an opportunity to say, tell their story or say what they feel or what they feel are good questions or how they want to share their story with the people that, you know, watch them or hold them and their fans. So I just think it's a great. I, I really love it. I'm exploring with it, having fun with it. Rick Buecher and I have our, our podcast, and it's just kind of a conversation. You know, we're not here to trash people, but it's great when we can have a one-on-one conversation uh, with some of your, you know, people that you look up to in the business, and you can just hear them in a very intimate environment. So uh, for us, for me, it's just another opportunity to interact with the fans and the media and do all the things that, you know, we never could do some 20, 25 years ago. Yeah, did we want to hear the Luke Longley story, though? <laughs> you know what? Luke is a very interesting fella. Actually, that's, that's what... The about Luke that was really interesting is, you know, he's like a big man. You know, Luke is like seven feet. You know, he's a big guy. And I thought it was one of the funniest things is he had... He always had these small sports cars. <laughs> 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 and, and I thought... <laughs> You know, how is this guy who's seven feet? I mean, Luke was every bit 270, 280, but he loves sports cars. And myself being from Detroit, you know, I'm from the Motor City, so him and I got along just great because he loves sports cars. He loves sports cars. And uh, so we would always talk cars all the time. And and uh, so, you you know, and these are things you people really never get a chance to, to see and expose, you know, because, you know, we're always traveling, talking about basketball, but... Again, you know, Luke is a very interesting person, and uh, I really enjoy my time playing with him. And uh, I just thought it was always kind of funny that here's this big man who loves these little small sports cars. And I always ask him, how do you get in these cars? And he would say, very carefully, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because guys that size are pretty much all, like, in Suburbans. Like, they're... Yeah, exactly. And he had these like little sports cars. And uh, <laughs> no. but no, he was a really, really good guy. And uh, uh, those were good times. Yeah. Now I've got a picture of Luke Longley and an MG in my head, and I'm just, it's not working. No. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, again, BJ, thank you so much for doing this and taking the time, and good luck with your podcast. And uh, of course, heading into free agency this summer with uh, all your clients. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Cool. 
And thank you, everybody, for listening. Of course, you can find the B.J. Armstrong and Rick Buecher podcast on Audio Boom, where you can also find the NBC Sports page with not only this, uh, the Pro Basketball Talk podcast, but all the NBC podcasts. Whether you uh, want to listen to the the new the new Premier League podcast, whether you want to listen to NASCAR, or stuff, there's plenty of stuff coming up now with the NFL draft just around the corner. All of those podcasts are there. Of course, you can also get all of those at NBCSports.com. And, of course, find us on iTunes.com. Or, if you're using the Stitcher app, that's a great place to organize all your podcasts. So, thank you again, everybody, for listening. And we'll be back next week with more Pro Basketball Talk podcast. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.